Welcome to The Daily Sales Show, hosted by Sell Better. We're here to learn about how top performing reps navigate sales negotiation. A lot's changed. These guys are going to give you some great ways to think about negotiation moving forward. Let me introduce them. Jay Pollard over at Tropic is with us. And the man, the myth, you guys might subscribe to his newsletter. Brian Lamana is in the room. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the show. Better to be here. Yeah, super excited to be here. Yeah, that you're feeling amped because I'm amped. That's the way it goes. I want to give a big thanks to our partners today, Vidyard, longtime Vidyard user, and Gong, of course. Gong Engage is the latest and greatest coming out and coming into the scene. Uh, this is an incredible platform you want to try out. They are all about customer interactions, personalize that ABM. Uh, we are dropping a link in the chat so that you guys can learn more about Gong Engage. Go get it. Uh, go ahead and scan this QR code. Join us sellbetter.xyz, learn about what we're doing, why we're doing it, and explore our YouTube channel. That's where you can get a lot of great tips and strategies. Sell better on YouTube. This is the agenda. Uh, current state. We got to know what's happening out there right now so we can make the changes that need to be made. Negotiation etiquette. Etiquette, etiquette, etiquette. I can't say etiquette enough. Say it 10 times fast. Etiquette is important. We're going to talk about that. And then identifying the sidestep and that outdated negotiation tactic that you probably have been using for far too long. So let's get into it right here. Uh, okay. Not surprising. It looks like most of the folks that are doing a lot of negotiation are AEs. I, I called that. I called that ahead of time. <laughs> so shout out to the AEs that are in the room. And I see we got senior leaders in here. Shout out to you. Make sure you tell your friends. We need more folks in here like you that are uh, trying to make change in their space. So uh, we appreciate all the leaders. Uh, okay, first thing we're going to talk about is price because I think that's the first thing that gets attacked. Uh, what what when you think about price uh, and you have to hold that price integrity, JC, you had some good ways that sales reps could not balk at that pushback that they get on price when they drop it. So let's go ahead and give people some things that they can do to hold on tight to that price integrity. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things here, and, and a mistake I certainly made like a lot, was. The second you hear somebody ask for a discount or start talking about price, you get happy ears, you get excited, and you just start throwing discounts out and negotiating without even truly understanding, like, are you at the one yard line on that deal? So my biggest piece of advice here is take a step back, don't get too excited, and validate that every other part of the evaluation has been completely completed. So it might sound like, hey, I'm happy to talk about price and what that could look like. I just want to make sure, are there any other hurdles we have to clear that could get between us and a partnership? Because the last thing you want to do is you start talking about negotiation, you start talking about discounts, you throw out a 30% discount thinking that it's going to get signed this week and the next thing you know, it slips into the next quarter and you're being held to the fire on this price that you can no longer honor. So it's truly like validate that every single other box has been checked before you even entertain that conversation. I love this, man. And that was the, the question that you gave there is, uh, and we're going to talk about discovery questions a little bit later, but here's that thing that you said. You said, is price the last remaining factor for you, or should we cover some other things to accomplish before diving straight into price? That's fantastic. I think salespeople should stop the stop the game right there and say, is this, is this where you're at? Are you actually on the one yard line? I never thought to do that, but when you said it, it made a lot of sense to me. Brian, uh, you said that confidence is something that a lot of sales reps struggle with, and you had a few things that you could talk about to help people with that confidence. What are some stuff, some things that they can do so that they are more confident when they deliver that, that price initially? 
Yeah, I think confidence comes down to practice and it not being the first couple of times you've ran through that pricing sheet or delivered on how the pricing is broken down. I think it's really natural for uh, sales reps, including uh, me when I first started at Gong a little over two years ago, I, I tend to over explain like mm-hmm. how pricing model works, all the different intricacies. Practice making it really, really concise. Practice with your teammate, practice with yourself, whatever makes you most comfortable so that you can trim that from like a 90 second explanation to, hey, our price is 15,000 annually. It's a platform fee and a per user fee and stay quiet. Let them talk first and let them ask questions to go from there. The same wire is so huge here because like my first react or my first inclination is like, that covers a CSM and you get three months of implementation and you just ramble on and nothing signifies you're like not that confident or bullish in your own pricing than just panic explaining why it costs that much. So it's, it's so critical to stay trial. I, th- I think it's an uncomfortable situation for the seller in that moment. And because it's uncomfortable, we have this natural tendency to justify our price. So we might say it's $10,000 a month, but let me tell you why, right? And then we go off on this whole thing that's unnecessary. It doesn't necessarily need to be there. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the language that you gave us, Brian, because you talked about a specific phrase, like a way that you format this response when people get right to price too early. And let's go ahead and launch this next question here for everybody in the room, because we're talking about price. I feel like that's the first thing to get attacked. What do you think is the thing that gets attacked first? Uh, That's the question that's up right now. Brian, how do you thwart people from going too fast on price and getting into that negotiation too soon? Yeah, I think being transparent early and often with pricing, uh, same thing, being concise, delivering it confidently. I I try to stay away from different verbiage to like list price or this is what it typically costs. Get rid of all the wishy-washy language. If you do want to insert an adjective in front of pricing, use the word approved pricing which signifies, hey, there might be an opportunity, but it's it's not um, uh, diving right into the discount component. So Yeah. Yeah. Uh, JC, you had mentioned that it's important to remain stoic when negotiations are happening. And I like that that approach. I think we show a lot when we when we get real excited, you know, somebody somebody does it, somebody's real excited. Okay, they're okay with the price. They're okay with it. Like we show that really. And then it's it becomes like a, a desperation. We'll talk about that further. Uh, but you gave Brian some credit because he taught you a few things. Uh, talk to me about what Brian taught you that changed the way that you negotiate now. Check it out. Yeah. I'm right. I'm right. Most people agree it's price that people attack first. I love that we're hot. We're starting here. You're, you're hot so far. You got I'm hot, hate you know? in the room. Yeah. Super cool. Uh, yeah. No, I, I give Brian literally direct credit. This new Zoom thing is so annoying, by the way. I don't know if you guys get this where it popped the thumbs up out of nowhere. Um, but no, I give Brian direct credit for this line that they use because so often a prospect's reaction to you presenting price is like, oh, that feels expensive. And it's really easy to immediately start justifying it and being like, well, yeah, but I know it's expensive, but like, it's really good. And look at our D2 ratings and we're the number one. And Brian taught me like, pause, have confidence and conviction, and then do some discovery. So things like, interesting. We don't typically hear that this is expensive. I'm curious, like, what are you comparing that to? Mm. Or, huh, that's not feedback I hear often. When you say expensive, is that like compared to the budget you had allocated or, or what about it? You're expensive. 
and just unpack what does that actually mean instead of immediately jumping to like defensive justification. I like this uh, interesting, I don't hear that often. I think that's an out-of-the-box response. A lot of people probably don't hear that after they give pricing. Uh, and there was something that that Brian said that I wrote down. I want to give it to all of you verbatim because I think this was so cool. Uh, when people come to that price, you can say you earn the right to say things like, typically when we get right into price, the organization we're working with is on that one yard line. They're pretty much ready to move forward. Is that true for you all? Or are there other steps that would need to take place? And that's usually when they get to say things like, no, we still need a demo or we still need to pilot this. Uh, we require at least one reference, right? So you get to say that uh, gives you the right to say, well, let's let's tackle that stuff first. I loved that flow because I think it causes our prospects to pause for a moment and not move too fast. Brian, is this common practice for you? It works often. Yeah, and it's it's really uh, it's a simple concept from Sandler, but it's reversing. So when they ask you a question like, hey, what better can you do from a pricing standpoint? Instead of going on the defensive and trying to justify and uh, you know give this 90 second response, just reverse it, kind of turn it back around on them. Then like you pull out that Uno card that said reverse and say, hey, James, happy to talk through pricing. Are you at the point where if pricing made sense, you're able to sign for this now, or is there anything else that would need to take place? Just kind of opens up the conversation. You run more discoveries, you share, they need to pilot it. There's a security process, legal process. And then you can make that recommendation really confidently and say, hey, James, are you open to a recommendation? Yes. Perfect. Typically, what what we like to tackle first is making sure that the team's really bought in from a value sense, first and foremost. And that everything checks the boxes for your organization from a security sense, from a legal sense. And then we're happy to have that conversation on making this a no-brainer from commercials. Does that work with you? I love this. What happens when you pause in that moment? I, I think you'll earn some respect from them. Uh, JC and I were unique when... JC was at Gong, like we are selling to sales leaders. So I think they're proud of hearing responses like that a lot of the time because training their reps that you know, don't start discounting on the first call or on the demo before they're truly bought in. Yeah. So in our case, we typically would would get a lot of respect, but I, I think it's really applicable to any buyer. I think at the end of the day, as long as you're framing it for them and why checking those other pieces first is, is going to be the most valuable use of their time as a buyer. I think it can have a really positive reaction, you know, nine times up. I think one thing you do have to be prepared for is like, will there be a pushback about you hiding price or anything like that? And so there are opportunities to make it very customer centric too. Like it, the reason I don't want to throw a price out there now when we're not with the one yard line is I don't want us to align on something. And then we find out there's six other hurdles in the way. And then by the time we're actually close to a partnership, things have shifted and that puts you in a vulnerable spot. Mm. So you can say things like that to make it like value additive for your customer that doesn't make it seem like you're just like trying to hide price until the last minute. Yeah, we're, we'll talk a little bit about hiding the ball. I absolutely hate that. I'm very transparent with pricing. I want to tell people early, if uh, you know, some people would consider this like a disqualification too. Like I want to get that pricing out early, let them shake it off. Oh no, that's way out of budget for us. Well, hey, that's great. You know, there might be a future op in the future, you know, but let's, I'm not going to force it where there is none. If you're telling me that you can't afford it, you can't afford it. Nothing that I could do in that negotiation phase is going to get you more money to be able to afford it. Right <laughs> Now, we could talk about other places where you might be able to steal budget. I might be able to help you there. But 
that's a completely different conversation. Yes, this is recorded. Uh, Gabrielle Mazzalterum has been on the show before. We appreciate you, Gabrielle. Thank you for coming. Uh, I see some good questions. Throw your questions in the Q&A. This is a reminder. Uh, we will answer some questions at the end of this. I'm going to leave some time. Let's talk a little bit about practice because like anything, negotiation takes a lot of practice. Brian, you had two things to say about what made you good at negotiations. Talk to us about that. Yeah, I, I think uh, to, to the slides credit, uh, just practicing and role playing it. I think at the end of the day, like across your, I don't know, first six months as a seller, you might only have like 15, 20 important negotiations, but you don't want those 15 to 20 reps being the only times you've actually practiced it or ran through it. Like ideally, I'd probably want at least 50 plus. So find a teammate, find a colleague, uh, your significant other, right? Whoever's willing to role play it a little bit with you and practice out some of those lines, practice delivering pricing, practice reversing, practice some of the stuff we'll, we'll share later in the show as well. Uh, and then the other piece is, is just from like a call listening standpoint as well, like review your own game tape. After I go through one of those negotiation type exercises, I, I'm going to watch back and analyze myself. Uh, could I have made any aspects of it tighter? Could I have been more confident? Could I have framed it more for the buyer? That's how we improve. I mean, the best athletes in the world, uh, you know, LeBron James, Tom Brady, what they do after games, they're still watching tape. There's there's aspects for them to improve and get better, and we're no different as sellers. Yeah, there's those silver bullets when it comes to what you do to get good. It's all about pragmatism, what works for you. Uh, you mentioned that you do mocks. JC, you have a different opinion about mocks. What do you think? I hate mocks so much. Uh, oh, put a one like in the chat if you like mocks. Put a two in the chat if you're anti-mock, if that's not what I think. I want to know. I think I think what's important here is like know how you learn and like Brian benefits a lot from mocks and he's also like far more disciplined in pretty much every aspect of life than me. So like that works for him. I don't like mocks. I love listening to how people I really respect or want to emulate are doing it. So if you don't have a call recording tool, like a gong or a competitor, first of all, go ping your manager and your VP right now that you need something in place. But I have a alert set up for any time my VP, my senior vice president, or my director was on a negotiation call. Mm. And I would just always listen to exactly how they presented pricing and how they handled objections around price because there's nobody I want to sound more like than our senior leadership. So I kind of had a different approach, but the key is like practice and figure out what works for you and how you learn better. Well, I think it's important that you get that alert, let you let you know that somebody that negotiates well and closes a lot of deals because they negotiate well is negotiating. Go back, watch that recording, think about all the conversations you're having and how you can format those questions and those negotiations into your conversations. That is a winning strategy, I think, for everybody. So if you have, don't have that product, check out Gong for sure, but make sure you go in there and set that alert up so that those folks that you want to learn from are being put in front of you, right? The, the product will do that. I want to know, I want to pivot and talk about a buzzword, something I think is a buzzword. Let me know in the chat, yes or no, are you a fan of the win-win, trying to make it a win-win for your prospects? Yes or no in the chat. I'm a fan. I'm not a fan. Yes or no. I got some yeses coming in. I see some yeses. I see no. I see hell yes. There's some passionate win-win folks up in here. Uh, neutral. All right. Hey, old guy. Appreciate that. Give, get. Hey, life is give, get. I can appreciate that. Uh, win, win to me feels like a buzzword these days. And that's what, what is it that is so attractive about this? How do we build a true win, win? Uh, where do you stand, Brian? Is this a thing? 
interesting. I think uh, I think my overall take on it is like win-win and furs, uh, like our side and their side are, are mutually happy. I, I think I just think about the negotiation a little bit different. And uh, by joke, like I'd be fine if all my prospects and my late stage deals were on the call right now because I'm not thinking about it as much in terms of like strong and squeezing every last dollar and cent towards my quota. I'm I'm thinking about it more consultatively in terms of them and what hopefully at the one yard line makes this a no brainer that gets them super excited about the partnership. And it's not always about dollars and cents. It could be enhanced support. It could be delayed billing. It could be uh, the type of billing to you know spread out their cash flow things of that nature. So I think of it as more of just like a win for them, and I'm gonna know my parameters internally on like what we are and are not able to do. Not bad. I you know one of the things that someone put in the chat here that I think I agree with is that trying to go for a win-win kind of forces this us versus them mentality, and I've never really been supportive of that. Uh, I don't want it to feel like a volleyball match where I'm trying to get points and you're trying to keep them away from me, right? I, I'd rather that not be the dynamic we create between buyer and seller. JC, uh, thoughts on the win-win? Is this something you go for? Is it something that works for you? What do you think? Um, I I actually, I, I think if you do a really good job of the sales cycle, I would hope that your champion feels like they got a win regardless because they will now have your solution. Mm. Uh, the amount of text you exchange with the champion after a deal gets signed it's like should we pop a bottle of champagne or something like i think if you do a really good job of creating value and getting the organization bought in on what you're offering them having that is going to feel like a win inevitably but i i completely echo what brian says like you should feel like you're on the same team selling on the same side of the table in most of these deals hopefully yeah. it's always a win-win yeah, I feel like uh, something that you said in the pre-call that made a lot of sense when we were talking about how we were going to present this to the audience here is that if you've done a great job, you should have this column over here with all the stuff that you can be flexible on. And then this yeah. column over here is a column where you know this is hard pricing. This never changes, right? I can't, I can't move this. But over here, I can be flexible. I can do things with this over here. Is that how you manage yours? You typically know where you can, where you can move and where you can't? Yeah, and I, I like being, I think you used the word transparent earlier, James. Like I did. I want to be transparent throughout the process. Uh, I don't want to feel like a, a like used car salesman, like hiding any discounts in my pocket. So it's as simple as being like, uh, first of all, everything we talked about earlier applies. We want to make sure every other box has been checked. We're not going to get hit with some like last minute legal thing. But once that's all been checked, like, hey, feels like price is going to be an important part of this conversation. And I lay out the potential levers that I have to pull and you can let me know what moves the needle for you. And it might be like Brian said, price might not be a factor. It's the payment terms because of their cash flow constraints. So it's like, hey, we can get flexible here, here, and here. Do any of these make this like an absolute no-brainer for you? And then you can go from there rather than just assuming it's like the total contract value. That's good. I like that flexibility and I like the phrase, the word flexibility when it comes to pricing. I I would prefer flexibility over discount uh, any day of the week. I'd rather know where I can add value. I want to uh, not necessarily verbally justify it, but know what I could add to justify the cost that I've given you. I'd rather them chip away at all the extra stuff than start going right for the price right away. I read something interesting and I'm curious for the crowd here. Uh, type the word body language in the chat, if you pay attention to the body language of your prospect on calls while you're negotiating, uh, or 
quite the same body language, right? If you pay attention to your own body language when you go back and rewatch your calls, let me know in the chat if you do that. I got a couple of people, a couple of people, absolutely, 100%, so important, right? Bad bad body language for both, Bod, body language for both, I see you. Okay, so we got some people that are body language people. From Winston Williams, he spoke about body language and negotiations. Do you guys find this to be a factor in your experience? And it's okay if you're not somebody that is consciously paying attention, uh, but I'm curious, what do you guys think about body language? Does it tell anything for you? JC, we'll start with you. Um, I'm not like hyper tuned into it. One thing I will say is like, I'm very comfortable with how I look on the call, especially if we're at a negotiation stage or I have decision makers in the room. So like right now I'm standing up because this is a call I want to present myself well on. Any really important call, I'm going to make sure my lighting is good. I'm going to make sure I'm in a, a collared shirt. I'm going to be standing up in like a position of power and speaking with confidence. Um, I, I think you can get like little cues based on looking at your prospect. Candidly, I, I probably am more distracted by looking at myself just to make sure that I'm presenting myself in a good way. So I think that kind of leads to like not noticing their body language as much, but I want to make sure that I'm not like trembling in my boots as I talk about price or anything like that. <laughs> I like that. I like that you're paying attention to the body language you get. I, I imagine that like stoic look. I think I do this a lot, which I don't know. I don't know how that comes off. Closed arm, bro. Open it, let it yeah. in, right? Closed arm, open it. I don't know. This is kind of tough. <laughs> thing, no, we, we don't discount. No, I don't know. Brian, uh, tell me about the way that you prep uh, for these body language calls. You know, like you, you're on with somebody. You know that you're at the negotiation phase. What are some steps you take uh, for the for recognizing some signs if you do? Uh, I wish I had an intricate answer. I'm, I'm probably similar to Denise. I don't know if I'm staring at myself in the Zoom. I'm just kidding. But uh, I'm super, I'm super cognizant about my own body language. I'm also standing before this presentation versus like James when you, me and JC prepped, I was sitting down, it's a little bit more relaxed, but I want to have more of like a power type pose. I want to be super prepared. I always keep like different notes on a notepad just to like the left, just so I'm not like pulling up another screen for a really important call like that of any different like levers, any talk tracks I might leverage. Uh, and then I think subconsciously I'm analyzing during the call, like how they're responding, what their body language looks like. But I think just being comfortable with the uncomfortable of those pauses, that silence during a negotiation call, like that's really, really powerful. Uh, so having some practice on, on that and, and just kind of keeping an eye if you, know, you see the other party, um, doing anything. Yeah, I think there's some subconscious things that happen over time as we get good at negotiation. You know, somebody might sit back at the right time. Uh, it was funny, JC mentioned, like, if somebody sighs, I don't know what that means. It's not like I can spot that and be like, oh, they sighed, they want 15%. You know, like, yeah. that's, not, that's not a thing, right? But there is some body language that might tell a few things about how somebody feels once you drop a price, right? Do they gasp, right? Do they have this, like, wide-eyed look? Oh, shit, that's way more than what we budgeted for. Those types of body language signals are something that you might be able to pick up on in a call. I see a lot of great questions. I want to give another reminder. We will leave time at the end to ask your questions in the Q&A. We'll come back to all these questions. Uh, you can, can I have one more thing here? Yeah, do it. Throw out there. Uh, one thing I want to like emphasize and took me a while to learn is like friction is good on these calls. Like it, it, Don't expect these calls to be like bubbly and happy. And a lot of times, like you're not going to come to a conclusion on that first negotiation call. There will probably be three or four other calls that are all really like fraught with friction and they're intense. And like 
that's a good sign. That means they care enough to have interest in negotiating or don't take that as like, I'm doomed. You're never going to come in. You should almost crave that friction and find comfort in that friction. Probably means that there's a real partnership forming there. I see. Cat, Cat's got some good stuff in the chat right now. You guys want to see some good stuff. Even Brian is like, I never considered that. Somebody might touch their nose. There's some good telltales. Thank you, Cat. <laughs> good stuff right there. Let's talk a little bit about conflict resolution because I think these two things are closely related, right? Negotiation can be tense. There can be friction there, but that's a good thing. Like we said, conflict resolution skills are helpful in negotiation phases. Uh, so not me versus them. We talked about this already. And uh, Brian, you said the same thing. You said this is not the route that you want to go. Talk to me about your conflict resolution skills when you're in negotiations. Yeah, I think I'm really intentional not to use language about like us. And I'm trying to frame everything for them. So I'm not saying like, we're unable to do that, or this is our process, or you know, this is how we do things because th they just don't care. And that's, that's not going to land. That's not going to resonate well, even if you're, you know, your sales leader thinks that's a good talk track. It's not. So just framing things for them and in terms of like why they should care about things. Uh, one of the things we do at Gong is we'll often point to our operating principle, which is create raving fans as an excuse around pricing integrity, because it, it really is true at the end of the day. James, if you bought Gong and you were in a, a room with 10 other people that also bought Gong at a similar time in the year, you wouldn't want to have vast discrepancies in price because else somebody would feel like they got the deal of a lifetime and, and somebody else would walk away really, really frustrated. Mm -hmm. so just trying to frame things kind of in their world, in their lens. And then I also like that labeling approach too. Uh, I have read Chris Voss, he's never split the difference. So it kind of removes yourself from the situation when you throw in a term like it seems like. So I'll often say like, hey, it seems like the team's being super thoughtful with how they're going about scrutinizing spend. And it's not even a question, but it's going to get them to open up more and share more about how they're thinking around budgets and process versus me saying, you know, you know, the ROI that I identified as way higher, it's just, it just doesn't land quite the same. So trying to use kind of that neutral language, like it seems like it is super, super powerful. Yeah. Vossi is great, man. I love that book too. Never split the difference. If you haven't picked that book up by all means, that is a great read for anybody that's doing negotiations. Uh, the guy was like a, a hostage negotiator professionally. Unbelievable. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's talk a little bit, JC, about the way that you go about managing your emotions. Because you said a lot of what we do becomes subconscious. So you try to reframe why we're here. How do you do this? Yeah, something I've noticed early on in sales, like you do all this work throughout the sales cycle to orient around value and to find a pain and to quantify. And then the second price gets brought up in the conversation, it's like that all gets thrown out the window. And all of a sudden we're like, going back and forth over $3,000. And so something I try to do in a non like, well, the ROI is this kind of way, but it just like consistently reframe the conversation and remind everyone like zoom out and be like, Hey, like, I, I know like sounds like we're just a little bit off on price. I just want to remind us like over the course of the sales cycle, we identified that there are like a 12% lift in the win rates that we could accomplish if we get our team to do X, Y, and Z. Throughout the pilot, we, we proved that that's like a very real outcome. I'm curious, like, does $3,000 Delta feel like enough of a reason to get between us and the partnership? And to just, like, consistently remind people, like, value, value, value in a non, like, annoying ROI calculator kind of way. But 
I'll just call it out sometimes too. I'm like, look, price kind of sucks to talk about. And I know it's uncomfortable, but like, I want to make sure we're not only focused on a few dollars and cents considering how big the actual problem we're tackling is. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is a huge mental shift for a lot of sales reps. My wife is in sales uh, on the real estate side. And oftentimes people will refuse to pay some $500 fee that has to be paid. Her commission is going to be like $16,000. So she's like, I'll pay the fee. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Like there's, there's something to be said for like stepping up for your customer and realizing that this $3,000 Delta is not that big a deal. It can be dealt with, but we can't, we can't just accept that loss on that Delta when we've been, we've been proving for weeks that this is the solution for you. Uh, $3,000 out of a $70,000 deal is probably not something that should break us, right? Let me launch this question because we're going to pivot to discovery here. I want to know from you, do you think that discovery is part of negotiation? A lot of folks are going to instinctively put yes because you think that's what we want to see, but some folks have never considered this. And we're going to educate a lot of folks on some discovery here that could really make an impact on the way that you get into negotiation. So Brian, uh, take it away and let's talk a little bit about bringing the conversation back to value through great discovery. Yeah, I think it's the most important piece. And uh, JC just, you know, what JC just said, like everyone hopefully wrote down or can review the recording because it's it's so, so strong with getting them to kind of zoom out and, and think about the ROI piece. Uh, I think ar- around where discovery and negotiation, negotiation all starts is just trying to have a little bit more of a conversation, whatever their pushback was after you delivered pricing really confidently, just using that quick reverse saying, hey, James, uh, it, it sounds like this was a little higher than you expected, mind sharing a bit more. It doesn't have to be overly complex, like the question you ask or how you kind of reverse and dig a little bit deeper. Just ask that kind of short question to get them to continue on and share a little bit more around the concern. Make sure you're actively listening and just super, super present. And then you can kind of go from there in in terms of where to take the conversation. Yeah, I love this. Discovery is necessary, necessity for dis, for dis, for budget is necess, necessity for discovery. Christina just put that in the chat. Uh, I think the earlier you can talk about budget, the better. And there are so many different ways to bring it up because the budget conversation often translates into negotiation quite well. JC, uh, you said you had a great story about like discovering the average contract value and what that means for your negotiation status. Talk to me about this. Yeah, this is like obviously super specific to Gong, but if over the course of the deal cycle you do good enough discovery to understand like what does an average contract for them look like, when it comes time to negotiate, it can be a small reminder like, look, if we win you one more deal over the course of the year, this is going to pay for itself. Like little tidbits like that that you can throw it in my world, probably like, hey, we identified on your Salesforce contract alone, there is enough savings that justify the entire cost of like just those tiny tidbits can sometimes help kind of reframe the conversation as well. I love knowing what their average contract value is because all that gives me is ammunition in the negotiation stage where I can talk about how many deals they stand to be able to close based on the, the demand that we provide or whatever it is that we're doing for them. If we can tie it back to that, yes, User Gems does do this very well. Chaz, good call out right there. If you guys don't know about User Gems, go check that out. Pretty solid stuff. Uh, here we go right here. Yes, 60% of the people believe that discovery is part of negotiation. Kudos to y'all for understanding how valuable 
your discovery phases are for the later parts of those conversations. We appreciate you taking part in that question. Uh, yes, you will receive the recording. It is 2023, my man. Uh, we can't end this without talking about common mistakes that people currently make. Earlier, I talked about the current state of negotiation. So let's get into it. Uh, these are the no-nos. These are common things that we probably all do. It's okay. Nobody's judging you. But you can make changes right now with some of these things and impact the way you negotiate. JC, break some of these down for us. Uh, yeah. Well, I want to skip to number two because this is like one thing that I was super guilty of. Uh, something I noticed is when I was having a really good quarter, the way I would present pricing and react to negotiation was so different than when I did every deal. And that led to me closing more deals because I was like stoic and calm and I wasn't desperate. So not having commission breath and even like, even if you're having a tough quarter, just tricking yourself into believing and having the confidence conviction, like, I don't need this deal. This is the price. Like, let's see if we can make a deal out of this versus like very clearly being desperate for every last dollar on that contract and freaking out if they push back. Like just have the swagger, like you're already at 300% of your quota and you don't get well, you don't give a crap if they sign or not and having that that you can say shit on this show man it's all right <laughs> yeah you don't give a shit about this deal you don't need it you're not like gonna force a square peg into a round hole like this partnership make that for both parties let's see if we can make a deal if not whatever yeah yeah i you know you give a shit about the deal i want to be clear like he's not saying don't care about the deals what he is saying is you can walk away from a deal that is not right or somebody that is negotiating so hard with you, they're being unfair to you. It's okay to walk away from those deals. You can always come back to the table. Uh, that That is what he is saying. Also, when people feel that desperation, I think it's a turnoff naturally. It's like a human response, a chemical reaction in the brain that we can't stop, right? And you walk away. It's the same feel like you're on the, the car lot, you want to buy the car, you have the money, you need a car. You see the car salesman and you lock eyes and your first thought is, I got to get the heck out of here before this guy talks to me. That is what he is saying. You don't yeah. want that person. Cool. Uh, <laughs> also, if they can tell that like you, that deal is between you and a, and a pip, like they're going to know they've got some additional negotiation leverage and they're probably got to be more aggressive on price as well. So from multiple vantage points, just be calm, be confident, act like you don't need it. Nice. Brian, talk to me about uh, being outside the one yard line. I think we do this too often as salespeople. Yeah. Uh, as simple as that, like, don't, don't give an inch until the team's ready to move forward and he's at that proverbial one, large, one yard line. I think zooming out quickly, like if James in this scenario is the CFO and JC's the, the buyer, Negotiation is a lot about psychology and the fact that like, if you make this $50,000 investment, James, it costs you $0. JC, it costs you $0. It costs the company money, right? It's not actually taking money out of your pocket or your, your dollars and cents. Mm. What James and JC often care about isn't the exact dollar amount. It's securing the best possible deal and making them feel like they got a really good deal or a really good start to the partnership that, that they're truly enthused about. And I think a lot of that, kind of what JC mentioned, is not being desperate, playing the game a bit, waiting till you're at that one yard line to, to give those final gifts. So it feels real and it is real. So they start partnership on a great foot and they're super excited about it. 
The excitement is what you're after. I think people forget that, and it's back to the win-win kind of in a way, right? Like you want them to feel like they won by taking on your service or your product. It should be a win for them. And that's what you should be focused on. Um, we talked a little bit about being transparent about pricing in the beginning. I get it out there early because I don't want it to be used against me later. I would rather them use it to their advantage. I want them to feel comfortable purchasing the product. I look for those early signs. When I say it's $10,000 a month, do you take a step back? Do, you're, do, you know, do you ghost me for a couple of days? Like hey, These are good signs that you might have a negotiation pending in the near future with that prospect. So be transparent early. That's my lesson for you is you know, don't hide the ball. Nobody likes the pricing to be hidden from them. You can put things in front of them, but don't hide the ball. That is important. Let's answer a couple of questions here. We got some good ones coming in. This one comes from anonymous attendee. We we appreciate you, anonymous. Uh, could we also ask for something in return during pricing negotiations, e.g., a case study or a commitment? Uh, I want to start with JC. What do you think about that one? Yeah, like I think people underestimate how creative you can get with something that feels by asking for stuff like that, or like there are other asks, like hey, like. What you're asking for is candidly a big give and not, not not typically something we offer. I can go to back to leadership and see if we can get it done, but like we would need it to get it signed by end of day today. Is that a reasonable ask? So it doesn't just have to be a case study or or this. Like it can also just be like turnaround time or different things like that. But yeah. Yeah. Usually always a give get there. Not bad. Uh Brian, we had a good question here. You mentioned that sometimes salespeople feel compelled to lower their offering so low that they have to sign, right? That's the mentality. Oh, anything for the signature. Why does this hurt people? I think back to that point about like psychology and it not actually costing that individual a dollar to make the investment. It's costing their company and yeah. it, about making them feel like it's a win and excitement versus you kind of desperately throwing over pricing over email or uh, you know dropping pricing during a demo call. It might be exciting to them at the time. It might make you feel good, uh, but it's going to cost you in the long run. Mm. Watch that long run, yo. That's that's what you got to say right there. Uh, I'll start high. I'll start high because I want them to come back to me. I want to hear what they have to say. Uh, JC had a great point the other day when we talked about this. We He said, you know, you might drop that really high number and they might be like, cool. <laughs> if, you don't, if you just immediately start chipping away at it or you think it's too high, you might get that back in a, in a different way, but they might respond and be okay with that price. Uh, this one comes from Alex. I'll leave it for Brian. How do we know what a lethal blow is versus something that just needs a Band-Aid when we're in negotiations? I like this question, Alex. Me. That's, uh, that's a great question. Yeah. I think, yeah. Uh, kind of the meaning behind the question is like, when uh, when is there an option to like still find a mutual agreement versus like when is it just going to be so far out of range that it might make more sense cutting bait sooner than later? Given that, I, I think it's, again, back to running a little bit more discovery. If you present pricing at, I don't know, 50000 and they're like, oh, we could never do anything over twenty. that to me is a red flag, right? I, I think that's like just way too far off. Mm. I've got a little bit more discovery. Hey, does the team, sounds like team might have some like set aside budget specifically for this. Would there be any opportunity to expand that if we were able to show the incremental value, kind of so on and so forth. But um Again, I, I think it's helpful maybe to go down that path a little bit then if it's like really early stage, if there's like a true, true blocker, you can kind of preface with like, hey, I don't want to get into all the negotiation aspect. I think there's something we can do past the 50, but 
I want to be super transparent. We'll never be able to get to that 20 number, but there are a lot of cheaper alternatives that you know you can get that price for. Like, curious from your world, would there be any appetite to look at something um, higher than that? There's a teeth that said. Any appetite? I like that language. I feel like people respond favorably to that. Uh, that's pretty solid. I would definitely use that question. Uh, this one comes from Brandon Perkins. JC, does it mean anything when cameras are off? during negotiations do you do you put any meaning behind that does it make it harder i mean if some people just never have them on i also notice like a lot of like people in, in different departments just never have cameras on something i always do if somebody doesn't have a camera on at the beginning of the call that hey uh, I, it looks like you have your camera off by the way just so you're aware of that and like that can sometimes get people to turn it on i always want them on um but james is it okay if i tackle this question that matt donnelly just dropped in the chat throw it out there man do it i want to go have have you both, Brian and Jay, noticed an increase in the number of approvers slash committee members recently? A thousand percent. Like in the macroeconomic condition we're in right now, what used to take one department head's approval now takes like C CFO eyes take an entire committee. And it's like that is the reality. There's data behind it. Hundred percent experience that in all of our deals. Something that I highly recommend you do is call that out in a very buyer centric way earlier in the deal cycle. So rather than being like, hey, can we get your CFO on the call and making it seem super self selfish, like I need to get to your CFO, just be transparent with your, your prospect there. Hey, something we're noticing is that for anything to get done, we have to have a ton of eyeballs on all the deals and buy in from multiple people in the business. The last thing I want to do is take two weeks of your time going through an evaluation and then all of a sudden you realize there's no world in which this can get done. With that in mind, I think it makes sense for us to actually get the full buying committee together on a demo to see if there is a path for the partnership here. Like, does that sound fair? But framing it in that buyer-centric way to try to get the committee involved earlier is something you, you literally have to do in all your deals. Matt, that was such a good question, man. We appreciate such a, such a, such a great question. Uh, I want to thank you guys for coming out, sharing your wisdom with us today. Uh, definitely follow us on social. Uh, we are going to drop Brian and JC's LinkedIn's in the chat. You want to go connect with these guys, learn from them. They put out great content. Uh, yeah, Roberto, we are all on MySpace. MySpace is where everything is happening these days. Go ahead and connect with me there on MySpace. <laughs> That's good stuff. Uh, I want to thank everybody for spending time with us. We know the time out of your day is important. Uh, connect with us. Follow us on social. We put out daily content to help you sell better. You're going to get a survey after this show that's going to ask you questions about how you enjoyed the show. What did you like? What did you dislike? What do you want to see more of? That's the stuff we want to know. We create this stuff for you, the sellers, the people that do the job every day. So thank you very much for coming. We will see you next time with another stellar guest to help you sell better. Go get them, everybody.